Hello everyone, and welcome to the Mental Illness Spotlight. My name is Max, and I am filling in for Alyssa this week. Today on our show, we'll be talking about eating disorders, and there are a number of different eating disorders, from anorexia nervosa to binge eating and so on, but they're all distinguished by disturbances in eating behavior and weight regulation. And before we begin, it's important to note that the Mental Illness Spotlight is not a substitute for professional mental health treatment and that the opinions stated on this show are not coming from mental health professionals. So let's get started. Panelists, if you'd like to introduce yourselves, who you are, what your job is, or what you're going to school for, and what diagnoses you have, if any. Um, my name is Amy. I am going to school for psychology. I actually plan on becoming a sexual therapist for alternative family therapy uh, for, how do I put it, polyamorous relationships and relationships based in sexual nature, i.e., submissive, dominant kink community, things like that. I feel like they aren't represented to an extent in the psychology field and therapy field where they have a place where they feel at home and they can have their relationship in therapy. So that's what I want to do with my life. Um, have you ever read the book, and this might be a little <laughs> bit of an interjection, have you ever read the book The Ethical Slut? Yes, I own it. Ah, that I hear is a very... <laughs> it is amazing. Like, no joke. It's actually what helped me come to terms with being polyamorous. Wonderful. Because mm -hmm. that was the first thing that came to mind when I read it. And that is, unfortunately, the only book I've ever read on the subject. So I, can't, I don't have that much experience. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I am also a YouTube gamer. I also stream on Twitch, Amelia the Geek, on both YouTube and Twitch.tv. And I am starting a podcast called uh, Tea Time with a Geek, where I talk about geeky and nerdy things every month. The first episode should be coming out at the end of this month. And I'm starting a show called Binge Watch, where I binge watch things, for better or for worse, and then I report on them. This month, I'm doing two shows for my YouTube channel, and it's for Mental Health Awareness Month. And they involve sexual abuse uh, and suicide, so trigger warning if you ever go and watch that video. <laughs> but... Um, that should be up by the end of this month as well. All right, and Kara? Uh, my name is Kara. I will be a senior at the University of Pittsburgh. I run the University of Pittsburgh's chapter for Project Heal, which is a national nonprofit um, that provides treatment grants for those suffering from eating disorders who can't afford treatment or whose insurance doesn't cover the necessary level of treatment. Um, I also uh, speak with high school girls and mentor them. I'm a part of Project Heal's new mentor program through the Communities of Healing. Um, and I also volunteer abroad in India uh, with an orphanage program over there. Hi, I'm Marissa. Um, I am currently a senior at Clarion University and I will be graduating in the summer. I have experienced a wide variety of mental illness throughout my life. And most of the people that I know really have no idea um, and I think that it's important to talk about these things so that people can realize that they're not alone. Probably the most pressing of my mental illness has been depression and anxiety although I did suffer with an eating disorder for I'd say you know three or four years um, silently so I'm really excited to to talk about some of those things today. Wonderful. And now for myself personally, 
I also experienced disordered eating. I don't know if I would call it a full-fledged eating disorder, but when I was younger, I suddenly became very concerned about exercising consistently. I would run two miles every day, I'd do 200 push-ups and 100 sit-ups every day, and if I didn't exercise enough or if I ate too much, I was afraid that I would bloat overnight, and the thought of me overweight was terrifying to me. But I didn't right away realize that I had crossed into disordered eating and exercise habits. It was a more gradual progression. How did you become aware that you had crossed from being conscious of your eating to disordered behavior? So I know growing up, I was always kind of conscious about what I was eating. Um, I think as a young girl growing up, you're not shielded from body image issues and Photoshop issues and diets coming out in teen vogue and issues that shouldn't even be pertaining to children. Um, but when I was a junior in high school, I had just kind of gone on a diet and, you know, just sought out to lose a couple of pounds, become healthier with myself. I was a dancer. I did ballet. And I really didn't notice that I had a problem until I had lost a significant amount of weight. I was no longer engaging with my friends. I couldn't concentrate in school. I isolated myself from my friends, my family, everyone. And I remember I ran into someone at school and she looked at me and she said, you're really skinny. And I said, thank you, because we're so trained to say thank you to anything regarding weight loss. And she looked at me and she said, I don't mean in a good way. And she walked away. And I think that was the first time I was like, maybe I'm doing something wrong. I knew that I was focusing more on weight than I was and food and intake and exercise, but I didn't think that I necessarily had a problem until that moment. I think for me, uh, it really started when, after I was bullied in middle school and had to change schools multiple times uh, because of mental illness, I decided to redefine myself. And a big part of that was my body image. And I just wanted to be accepted by everyone. And to me, the best way to be accepted was to adhere to the uh, societal standard of beauty. So I really, really wanted to attain that and kind of create this fake persona to become accepted so that I could hide my issues more deeply. And that actually really worked uh, for quite some time. Uh, but I think that when it when I realized that it really was a problem, I was actually taking classes at CCAC and they have a free gym and I would make sure that I was exercising enough so that I was losing more calories than I was consuming each day um, and I would keep track of it you know meticulously it was very important to me and I was also working at Subway at the time and I never ate anything healthy which <laughs> I don't understand why but I really liked Pringles, so I would snack on Pringles, but before I ate each one, I would look at the back and, you know, become aware of what each bite, what that was contributing to my weight. And one of my coworkers took the Pringles container out of my hand and blacked it out with a Sharpie so that I could no longer see, you know, the calorie information, the, the fat content. And I cried. I was so upset. I was like, how am I supposed to go this whole shift without knowing how, you know, how these Pringles are affecting me? And I think it was that point that I realized this is not normal behavior. You know, this has become an issue. For me, 
It was um, in middle school. Uh, gender roles became more defined. And just so everyone knows, I am a transgender. I am male to female. And so pronouns get a little muddled when I talk about I'm a when I'm a child. But in middle school, that's when gender pronouns became more defined. I realized that I needed to be more masculine, but it wasn't my personality. It wasn't who I was. So I was trying to put on this fake persona, which gave me more anxiety, made me really get teased a lot. I got bullied so hard. I had a psychotic break and a complete emotional breakdown before I was 13. Um, my father was very abusive and all this stuff going on. I had lost my connection with ballet, with tap, and I started eating. Um, I suffer from binge eating, and I suffer from emotional eating, and so I would eat, and I would eat a lot. I would eat pizza because pizza made me happy, I would eat candy, I would eat sugar, I would eat anything that made me feel good. I would eat it. Like, just, I, I could eat a bag of chips, I still can, I can eat a bag of family-sized potato chips in an hour, because it. I just need to. Like, it. it's a consistent need. And I do still suffer from the binge eating. Um, but the binge eating went into anorexia because I was eating so much. My father literally took a fork out of my hand because I was eating something and threw it away and said I needed to stop eating because I was becoming a fat little thing. And so I stopped. It just, I don't know what happened, but I just stopped. For two weeks when I was in California, I didn't eat. And that's when the anorexia really started. I would get really sad and I would eat a lot and then I'd stop eating. And because I'd become hyper aware that I was eating so much and I was gaining so much weight and I've always been a little chubby throughout my entire childhood. I was always healthy, but I was chubby. So in high school, I stopped eating for weeks at a time and not a lot of people noticed, but one of my friends noticed and uh, I thank him a lot because he would make sure he bought me breakfast. Like, and he would sit there and watch me eat it, and he wouldn't let me go to the bathroom to throw it up. And he would make sure I'd eat on a regular basis, and that's when I noticed that it was an issue that I needed to take care of. Thank you so much for sharing that, Amy. I know it's hard. It's hard. This is an emotion. These are emotional things that we're talking about. It makes sense that we'll be upset about some of these things. That's not a problem. And I do find it interesting how, for so many of us, our eating disorders seem to all happen around high school, middle school, and so often related to being rejected by our peers, to re-evaluating our identities. And that seems like such a consistent through line, not just for us, but for so many different people I know who have struggled with eating disorders, that it seems more than just a coincidence. But what do you all feel is least known about having an eating disorder? It never goes away, at least in my case. You always have that little nagging piece at, in your mind telling you, you need to watch what you're eating, you need to stop eating, you need to eat a lot. It actually, my eating disorder started resurfacing recently with emotional eating because of work. I was getting very stressed out and I was eating cookies and chips and nothing good at work. And that's all I was eating because I was just so stressed out that I needed to eat and it, it really, it never stops. So you always have to be aware of your eating habits because if you realize you're starting to slip, you need to catch yourself. And it, it is difficult sometimes because I went a month of binge eating 
before I realized that I was binge eating and I had gained like 15 pounds. <laughs> I think that what most people don't realize is how closely um, eating disorders can be tied into other mental issues as well, such as, you know, for me, it was my depression that was really causing me to feel like I hated my body and I didn't love myself. So what did I care that I was starving myself or that I was, you know, throwing up after every meal? It was fine to me because I didn't want to live anyway. Uh, and I think whenever we talk about eating disorders, sometimes we think of it as this singular issue that can be easily overcome, but it's really not like that. It's so complicated. And you do, you think about food much more, I think, than someone who doesn't have an eating disorder. You think about what you ate and if that was a good decision or if it wasn't and how much you want to eat this or don't want to eat this and you shame yourself in the process. It's just uh, very unhealthy. You know, I would like to piggyback off of Amy's comment because an eating disorder is something that when you're going through it seems like it is going to be with you forever. And it is always going to be that voice in the back of your head telling you you're not good enough, you're not worthy enough. But through the organization that I work with, Project Heal, and through the other mentors that I work with, full recovery from an eating disorder is possible. And it's something that for years clinicians have not admitted to. I had several clinicians tell me that this is something that you'll have to manage, that you'll have to watch for relapses, that you're always going to be stuck with. But I know several professionals in the eating disorder field and several other men and women who can confidently say, I am recovered from my eating disorder. But when you're going through an eating disorder, it is hell and you think that you're going to live with it forever and that you're never going to get better. And what kind of life is that to live if you have doctors and therapists telling you you're going to live with this for the rest of your life? and you're never really fully going to get better. That doesn't really give you much hope. But from a mentor perspective, I can tell you that there really is full recovery that is possible from an eating disorder. I've definitely had an experience that is a bit of a combination of both of yours in terms of overall recovery, because there are some things where how I am now is so markedly different from how I was a few years ago in a very positive direction where some of the things I used to struggle with, I don't struggle with at all or very little now. But then there are other things, including disordered eating. There was a few days ago where I noticed that I had gained a few pounds and I had this great surge of anxiety. And sometimes it's tough to figure out, is this going to be with me for the rest of my life? Or am I going to be able to get it to go away? And for me, at least, it's a matter of being willing to say that it might be there and I can learn to live with it, while at the same time working on the things for me to get better. But um, I want to kind of clarify what I was saying as well. Is, um, I feel recovered from my eating disorder, but I know that I can relapse. Like, at least for who I am, is I know that that's a possibility for me, especially with what happened in the last two months. I started eating from my anxiety. I started eating a lot. And then I realized I was eating a lot. Then I hit the gym for a week. And I, after I hit the gym for a week, I stopped myself and was just like, no, if I go down this path, it's going to end badly for me. <laughs> and so I had to, I had to put the stopper on it. And I, it's because of who I am now as a person, 
realizing that, you know, I'm a woman, transitioning, becoming more confident in myself, I became more confident in my body. And that helped me become more confident in, you know, my eating. And so it helped me, but I still feel the nagging. Like for me, I don't, I feel I'm recovered, but it's still there. Like it's still, it still exists. Yeah, it's the same for me where even as I've recovered from so many things, I'm aware that there is that specter hanging over me that could assert itself at any time. I try to do my best to make sure that doesn't happen, but I, at the same time, I'm aware that it could pop up and I need to be prepared for that. And one of the ways in which I do prepare for that and which I treat it is through healthcare. And for me, I have on Medicaid and I see a psychiatrist and she is wonderful. And if she happens to be listening to this, she knows she, who she is and I'm very grateful for her. But have you guys faced any challenges related to receiving health care for eating disorders? Uh, yes, absolutely. I think whenever you have multiple diagnoses, um, they don't really focus on the fact that you have an eating disorder. And if you say if someone actually does notice that you have gained or or lost any weight, they say, oh, it's probably because of your medication. Uh, so it has nothing to do with your disordered thinking habits about eating. It's has in everything to do with the fact that this medication is causing you to gain weight and it's really not the case. A lot of times when you say I'm having these issues to your therapist, they say, okay, well, let's talk about the depression. Let's talk about the anxiety and we'll get to that later. But eating disorders are just as important as that and they can be very detrimental to your overall health. I want to add on to what she said. Um, since I was born male, um, my therapist didn't really want to hear that I had an eating disorder, but I was on a lot of medications. <laughs> and so they, some of them had appetite suppressant, some of them had appetite increasers. It was, it was, you could gain weight on this, you could gain water weight on this. So a lot of times if I'd even try to discuss it with my therapist, she'd be like, it's, it's okay. It's just the medication you're on. Let it work through your system. You'll figure it out or we'll switch you to something else. And I'm like, but this, this is an issue. No, don't, don't worry about it. It's just the medication making you want to eat more. <laughs> well, I think a problem that you also run into, not with just doctors, is also the insurance company that when a therapist or a doctor writes down that you have anorexia or bulimia, their insurance will take you more seriously than if a doctor writes down that you have EDNOS or binge eating disorder because those are seen as not as serious as other eating disorders when realistically it's just a diagnosis on a piece of paper and all eating disorders are harmful to your health. But insurance companies won't necessarily cover eating disorder not otherwise specified as well as they will anorexia. And then you run into problems where a patient may say, well, I'm not sick enough. I need to get sicker so that I can actually receive treatment for my eating disorder. And so you run into a lot of issues that way with insurance companies. Yeah, I find that that is a frustrating issue to deal with where they're so focused on very strict criteria. We see that with like the DSM-5, which 
has strict diagnostic criteria, and if you do not fit them, then it is a black or white issue when, as we all know, it's such a more vague, ambiguous, broad spectrum of what we're all dealing with. And now we're going to take a short break. Thank you guys so much for the answers you all gave. And we'll be back in a little bit with part two. Spotlight. My name is still Max, and I'm still filling in for Alyssa. So let's get started with part two. Now, when I was talking earlier about my own experiences with disordered eating and exercise, my account was somewhat unusual because I am male, and when people think of eating disorders, they tend not to think of men, but of women. Not just because we believe women are more likely to have an eating disorder, but because we live in a society that judges women's bodies far more strictly than they do men's bodies. So in a certain sense, do you all believe that women are expected to have an eating disorder? I don't know if I would say that they're expected to have an eating disorder, but I think women are more expected to care more about their body image. Um, even I was reading an article earlier this week about swimwear and men versus women. And when men go to the beach, it's perfectly acceptable for them to wear swimming trunks that go down to their knees and a baggy t-shirt that cover their entire torso. Whereas women are expected to reveal themselves more and in turn have to put more pressure on what they look like. And so I think, and you see all the time in um, female magazines versus men's magazines, you see on the front cover of Cosmo, Vogue, all of these uh, articles about summer body, lose weight this way, how to tone this, how to tone that. And I think you just grow up and it's ingrained in you to a point. Yeah, I definitely agree with your points. I have experienced a lot of anxiety over uh, societal expectations of beauty throughout my life, and it definitely is something that a lot of people experience, both women and men. But I do believe that as a woman, you are expected to care more about how you look and I think that there is so much pressure placed upon that that it's become commonplace. It's, it's normal. You can talk to a, a number of different women and you say, oh, I no, I'm not hungry or yeah, I'm just going to have a salad. And they're like, oh, yeah, me too. I'm watching what I'm eating. And a lot of people don't think is there something more going on here or is are they just trying to be healthy? But a lot of times there's things going on beneath the surface. My experience is odd because I've been a woman my entire life. Like I've been female my entire life, but I had to learn masculine roles in my life until I had to unlearn them in my later life. But my eating disorder, um, it was as a male and it was stemming from my anxiety and I feel like in our society if you look at media and you look at social media and you look at 
you know, magazines, it's almost romanticized to have an eating disorder. And even now looking at magazines, I look at them and I'm just like, I want, why do I want to look like that? Like I'm comfortable with my body and how I look, but why do I want that? What about what they're showing makes me want that? And I do like when you, when you look at like Vogue and you look at Cosmo and you see these pictures, they're framed in a way that almost makes you ashamed that you aren't that. And so it becomes so almost romanticized in society for women to have eating disorders. And I think that that's really disgusting. (laughs) I think a lot about that myself, about how to a certain degree, not only eating disorders, but other mental illnesses are romanticized in different ways. You have artists who are expected to have depression or bipolar or something like that. Women, there's this expectation to have an eating disorder. And it's considered almost poetic in a way which I always worry about because it seems to encourage people to have it or to maintain it, or they may build their social lives around it, which makes leaving uh, that community because they're recovering so much more difficult. I think of pro-Anna groups, where if you are, you grow up being supported by these people in the pro-Anna group, they are your friends. But then if you decide to go into recovery, suddenly you have to leave behind that entire social circle because it's sort of like, an alcoholic deciding to leave his drinking buddies to stop drinking. It make, it entails a massive shift. So that is something I'm concerned about too, with how it's certain, with how eating disorders, along with other mental illnesses, are romanticized, glorified, and become these kind of social identifiers. Like, if you look at diets, there are so many diets and so many detox teas and all of this, and like, I have someone that I know in my life that she drinks this tea every day and she's like, it makes you lose five pounds a week. And I'm like, that's, that's, I mean, if you're exercising that it might be okay, but you're not exercising, you're working every day and all you're doing is drinking this tea and eating, you know, less than 2000 calories, I think. And, you know, that's not healthy, but it's romanticized and it's what people expect from society. And it's, it's just weird to me. Like, you can go everywhere and Instagram and Facebook and just see all these lose weight now, lose weight now. And it almost pushes people to anxiety disorders or eating disorders. Sorry. Uh, Going back to what you said about the pro Anna groups, I used to uh, belong to a lot of them actually. And I found solace in the fact that there were other people who viewed their body in the same way that I viewed mine. And I think that there's a point where you become confused on how you're supposed to feel about it because even though you realize that it's not a healthy way of eating, way of thinking, there's a part of you that says, yes, I am, I have this sense of self-control that I can, you know, show, I can make my body be what I want other people to see and it's kind of addicting in that sense and so you're not really sure where to draw the line between how you want to be and what is completely disordered just a plug about tea detoxes you have a liver that does that for you you don't really need a tea to detox your body (laughs) i i agree with that you really don't need a tea to detox your body yeah i read so much about how this will flush the toxins out of your body and, and i'm like the toxins, as they're defining it, aren't actually a thing. 
the things that are being quote unquote detoxed, we already do that naturally. So it's one of those weird new agey terms that always infuriates me when I hear because it's essentially creating a medical condition just to advertise that you can solve it. But moving away from that, <laughs> for every person in recovery, there are usually a number of different factors that contributed to their recovery. And for me, it was a combination of medication, therapy, my own hard work, changing my belief system, and many, many other things. And for many of us, there is often one factor that is especially important in our recoveries. So for you guys, what was most important in your own recovery? I would honestly say, and this is dating myself because I started my recovery in high school, and Color Guard. Um, I joined Color Guard in the 10th grade, I believe 10th or 11th, and I finally had a social group. It, I never really had friends in high school, and that's a, a story for another day, but I, I met a solid group of at least school friends there that were with me a lot. And so we'd go out and they noticed I wasn't eating. And my friend noticed more than they did. And he was the one who actually started getting me to eat more, making me realize that, you know, either not eating or eating too much was, was a serious issue with me. And I became, I, I became more healthy because I would exercise every day after school. It was five days a week. We'd practice flag spinning, rifle spinning. Then we'd do push-ups, sit-ups, everything. And I became healthier, but I learned how to be healthy. It helped with my my self-harm issues. It helped with a lot of that. And it was honestly due to one person in my life that really took a notice in me because I didn't feel like anyone was taking a notice in me. And so part of my, you know, part of the anorexia that stemmed from my binge eating was I was taking a notice in me. But now someone else was actually like, truly caring about me and that helped immensely with recovering from my various eating disorders i would say for me um it really was getting involved with project teal you know until then i would consider myself about 80 percent recovered you know i could go through the motions i could maintain a steady weight but there was still that voice in the back of my head telling me you're never going to fully recover because i really didn't believe it um but in working with project teal I was connected with this tribe of fantastic men and women who really, they like to say it's anorexia turned good. You turn that anxiety, that perfectionism into helping people. We've sent over 70 applicants to treatment, be it residential treatment, therapy visits, and you really see how your efforts are helping other people get better. And because of working with them, you know, I am able to consider myself fully recovered. For me, the biggest factor in overcoming my eating disorder was definitely the amazing support of my boyfriend. We had just started living together, and so he was kind of getting a firsthand look at, you know, the times where I wasn't eating or when I would lie about how much I ate, and he would always call me out on it. He would always be making track, trying to make sure that I was getting the right nutrients, and for me, I would fast a lot. Um, I just, I liked fasting. And so anytime I would fast, he would also fast. And he has a very sensitive stomach. So he would make himself physically sick 
to show me how disordered I my thinking really was. And he would not eat until I ate something. And so we started eating all of the same things. I started eating more regularly and realizing, you know, that someone cares about me, someone believes that I can overcome this, that I am more than this, that this doesn't even matter. So uh, that was really, really great. It's wonderful to hear. What do you all believe are the greatest challenges facing people with eating disorders today? Going back to what I said earlier is it's the romanticizing, showing them in social media, showing them as early as like 12 or 13. I think I was watching Degrassi and a 13-year-old was starving herself on Degrassi. And it's, again, it's romanticized. It's shown, it's shown that this should be a thing that you go through. Even if you recover from it, you should go through it because that's a, a thing in life. And all these, you know, these... I want to say sitcoms and things like that that show these eating disorders. I don't think that a lot of them show them in the proper light that this is a serious issue. They show it as, oh, she's just stopped eating or she starts to binge like a, a crash diet. Oh, now it's an or a disorder. Oh, now she's fine. Like that, that's not really how it works. It becomes your whole life. Like when you go through a full eating disorder, it, it becomes that. So romanticizing it in social media and romanticizing it in our regular media and anything like that it it's detrimental to stop doing that because it's harming our children it, mm -hmm. it's showing them that this is what society expects from you so you need to do it mm -hmm. and to go out of that real quickly it seems so strange that our portrayal of mental illness in so many shows is using it solely as a plot device and not for exploring what it actually means how it feels to have it and how much damage it does yeah yeah, I have to agree with Amy. You know, right now I think eating disorders are kind of viewed as a rich young white girl's disease. But we see it in men and women, people of color. We see it in people who are older. We're seeing it in children. I mean, we just had to open up two children's units for eating disorders in Pittsburgh. And you're seeing children as young as 8, 10 coming in with anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder. Because they think that's what is supposed to happen. They think that this is the track that they're supposed to be on when they don't even really understand what they're doing and what harm this is going to cause to them. I think this upcoming generation is going to have a lot of body image uh, issues because of social media and how much emphasis is placed on the number of likes that you get on your picture. You know, young people, they're taking all these pictures, trying to get the perfect lighting, trying to make themselves look the best, and they're obsessing over it. And if they don't get the amount of likes that they want, they take the picture down. So it's not even about who you are authentically. It's about how well has society accepted this version that I have put out oh yeah I definitely know that because for me even on Facebook if I post something I'll be evaluating how many likes it has and if it seems like it's not getting not a lot of likes or if it's getting only a few I think oh my god maybe this is something bad maybe this is making me look bad and then I take it down and it seems so strange how we've turned human affection and into this quantified piece of data as though you can convey much of anything through just that alone. And I think that has a lot of dangerous effects. 
but we're going to take another short break and then we're going to finish up with our final round of questions. So going back to a few more additional questions, and this question is specifically for Amy. Amy, you've talked about uh, body dysmorphic disorder, and how does that play into your experience with eating disorders? It's um, it's a wide array of things. Um, like, say how chocolate makes you break out. So you look at your face one morning, and you see the start of one pimple. And that one pimple is all you can focus on. That's all you can focus on. It's just the forefront of your brain. That math test, no. It's not important. Everyone is noticing your pimple. No one's even doing the test. No. And in the meantime, it's not even like, it's just not even a blemish. Like, but you see it and it's, you, it's there. So you've cut out all chocolate. You stop eating all chocolate because you can't break out. You can't do that. And then you stop eating all greasy foods. You just you can't do it. Then you stop eating food you like just can't then you notice that your weight is going down and you like that so you stop eating more and then you realize it's going down more but in your mind it's getting bigger it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger so you start you stop eating more then you start getting really hungry and you eat a bunch of stuff then you feel bad and you look in the mirror again there's a pimple (laughs) and it's Body dysmorphia is one of those things where there's one thing wrong and it couldn't, it, it could not even exist, but you know it. Like one of the things is I have a broken tooth. That's always on the forefront of my mind. It's, it's the weirdest thing. Like I, I deal with it and it's gotten less and less, but to me that it's always there. Everyone sees it in if I smile too big, everyone's looking at it. They're not looking at me. They're not paying attention to me. They're not hearing what I'm saying. They're all focused on that thing, that one thing. And so when it stems into weight and when it stems into your body image, which it always does, well, I don't want to say always. Some people might have body dysmorphia order where it doesn't stem into their self-image, but for me, it does. So I pay attention to my eating and it, it really... It's difficult. It's a difficult balance, but through therapy, it's really helped me. I've, my anxiety has calmed down a lot and I've been able to healthy, healthfully eat. And I've actually had less and less issues with my body dysmorphia disorder, but it's still there. It's fascinating to me how much of so many people's struggles with eating disorders stem from this fear of losing control of their own bodies where they're almost in opposition to their bodies wondering what is it going to do next how is it going to take away my control so that's something that's very interesting to me but marissa did you want to add something yeah i would definitely agree that a lot of body of my body issues came from that sense of control and I just wanted to 
be something that I wasn't. And it took a long time to understand that that was at the core of my disordered eating. And the first step in healing that I took was just trying to accept that, you know, my body is as much of a part of me as my head is. I don't need to destroy it. I can, you know, try to feed it with healthy things and really focus on self-love. And of course, it's a struggle and something that you have to think about a lot, but it's it's working somewhat. <laughs> and we also talked about bullying for a while there. So, Amy, Marissa... How did bullying influence your own experiences with body image and eating disorders? Um, well, I started being bullied in, I want to say the fourth grade. Um, it stemmed all the way until, I want to say ninth. Now, my high school was pretty big, so by ninth grade, everyone stopped paying attention to me because there was five middle schools that went to one high school. But it was... Um, they found out that I did ballet and ballet was always something that I liked, but there were a lot of girls there and I was dealing with my own issues of who am I, what am I, what's going on. So they were all really skinny and I wanted to be that skinny. I was always still a little chubby. People started making fun of me because of my weight. They made fun of me because I was, I was in ballet. I was in tap and I was a boy at the time and that's not what boys do. Boys don't go to ballet, but I loved it. It's what I wanted to do. And it got really bad. I would get kicked around. I got kicked into lockers. I, uh, my books got thrown away. Like, um, someone destroyed a shirt of mine that was priceless because my cousin made it. And they put screen printing ink on my chair and no one told me. And I sat in it and ruined that shirt. Um, and I was just looking for some kind of control. And my dad would tease me mercilessly like he was he was relentless i was never good enough ever um all these people telling me i'm not good enough i'm not good enough i'm nothing i'm worthless and i discovered eating eating made me happy eating a candy bar put a smile on my face eating a piece of pizza just gave me this great head rush of this is amazing. I want my life to be this way. And eating became my comfort. And I would eat. I put on 300 pounds. Like I was eating so much. My mom got really concerned because I was just constantly eating because I was so sad. And I had no control over what these people thought of me and what they did to me. And I just wanted them all to stop. Around seventh grade, I had a full psychotic break and mental breakdown. And that's when I realized that I was eating horribly and I needed to fix it, but I didn't know how to fix it. People were still making fun of me because of it afterwards. And I just continued eating um, until high school when I met my friend who really helped me. But bullying, it was, I was looking for a way to control and bring validation to my life. And that's when I discovered eating. Like, I needed it. And then when I realized I was getting too fat, I started not eating. And my dad told me I was too fat. And so I was just... I, I started being anorexic. But then I wanted to eat more because eating brought me happiness. So I'd eat. And I'd eat. And I'd eat. And then I'd throw it all up. Because I just couldn't have that in my system anymore. Like, 
I got it out of my system. I ate. I felt better. Threw it up because I couldn't gain weight because I was too fat. I was that I played their importance on myself. And their bullying really messed me up. Really messed me up. I'm still still dealing with issues um, to this day because of it. But I've gotten a lot better. Wow, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, my my bullying story was, you know, maybe not as extreme. I was bullied because of my uh, OCD, actually not because of anything else. Um, but people noticed that I would act differently. And as a young kid, I didn't, wasn't sure how to handle it. Was I supposed to hide these things about myself? Or was it okay for me to be a little strange? So I started trying to act normal, but I would still find opposition in those around me, um, people pointing out things that were wrong with me, um, making school so difficult that I would you know, fake illness a lot because I just didn't want to go and deal with it. I knew I was different from them and they made sure to remind me that I was and that's just really not okay for a child's development and it kind of gives you a choice where you can choose to ignore them and go about your day or, but a lot of people don't have those skills to be able to do that as a young, at a young age and I didn't. I let it completely crush me to the point where I said, okay, I'm going to have to redefine myself because people don't like who I really am. So I guess that means that I'm going to have to start pretending. And that's really the attitude that I took throughout my the rest of my you know middle school and high school career. And even um, the first two years of my college experience as well. I thought that if I ever showed anybody who I truly was, they would respond with bullying and opposition just as they had done when I was growing up. You know, I can't talk about these mental issues that I'm having because it's not right to be having them. And I started my journey too with eating disorders as a result of depression because I just wanted to hurt myself. And so I said, what better way to hurt myself than to starve? So that really gave me that feeling like something's not right here. I don't understand why I can't be myself. I must not be good. And that's why I started, you know, becoming addicted to the feeling of hurting myself, um, self-harming in any way. And then I would binge on you know I wouldn't eat for a couple days and then when I couldn't take it anymore I would eat a whole carton of Rocky Road ice cream and then throw it up and I just my weight wasn't really fluctuating uh, so a lot of people had no idea that I was you know having this disordered thinking and I myself didn't know that it was really an eating disorder because it wasn't necessarily anorexia because it was so random some weeks I would eat normally and others I wouldn't eat at all so it was hard for me to find a defining um, defining point in that but it definitely started because people did not accept me for who I was
And with that, we're going to conclude this episode of the Mental Illness Spotlight. I wanted to thank you all for coming on today to talk with us. And I know from experience that these are not always easy to talk about. But I appreciate all of you taking the time to help us all be a little more informed today. Thank you so much.